like to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Take our, our reading this afternoon from here. <clears throat> Matthew, chapter 5. We'll start with verse 1. <clears throat> there reads, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness', righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then start in verse 13, where we're going to look at this afternoon briefly. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? It isn't good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set upon a Set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In the first twelve verses, um, we see what we refer to as the Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus gives us a list of characteristics that we are to live by and blessings that are their counterpart. In the next few verses, what we'll look at briefly this afternoon, we see Jesus go a little bit broader and tell us the type of lives we are to live. And if you'll you allow the analogy, he has given us basically in the first little bit in the, those Beatitudes there, he gives us a list of tools that we're going to need to acquire and seek mastery of, and then he is giving us a job description for what those tools are to be used for. Here are the tools, or here are these traits if you obtain these and grow in these and devote yourself to them, here's some blessings that will come with them. But then there's a work that is to be performed utilizing these traits. These traits are what we are, something we're all capable of, we're all capable of growing in. He first tells us that we as Christians, start coming back down to verse 13, these uh, few verses here that we're going to look at this evening, tells us that as Christians we are the salt of the earth. Salt has been one of the world's most precious commodities for centuries. Um, there was a myth that the Roman soldiers were often paid with salt. As far as I'm aware, that's uh, actually true. But it aids, um, that's an old myth, and aids us in, in seeing that how valuable salt has been throughout history. If I understand, the phrase worthless salt does come from um, the Romans. It's from the allotment of money that the soldiers were allowed to spend on on salt for things for themselves. In past society, salt has been a symbol of, of friendship. It was used to bind contracts. Contracts In Second Chronicles, there's even a covenant of salt that uh, Abijah makes mention of that was made um, from God to David, meaning it was a perpetual covenant made to him because of salt's uh, preservative nature. But why has Jesus compared Christians to salt? Well, I I believe its most significant use of salt is just what we had mentioned. It is for preservation. In the context of this passage, seeming as the speaking of saving 
saving influence of a Christian's life, I believe that he has compared his followers to salt. Before the invention of modern refrigeration, which we um, take advantage of today, I believe salt was relied upon as a way in which to preserve one's food, saving it from spoiling. In this way, Christians, which are obedient followers of Christ, are the salt that is set forth in the earth. It's our job as Christians to preserve or save as much as we can. I think it's interesting to note that salt also, when it encounters a cut or a wound, uh, it stings. It's uncomfortable. In saving the world and spreading the gospel, there are times that we may be in a position where we must possibly rebuke a fellow Christian or tell some lost soul that they are lost if they do not obey God or may find ourselves in error and must look to the scriptures to correct our course. And in this way, the salt, the truth, it stings, as it were. But the goal is for the end result to be the preservation and the saving of souls. But what if we haven't been fulfilling this duty we have set before us? What if we have lost our flavor or haven't been fulfilling our obligation to preserve those on this earth? Jesus says if salt loses its flavor, it is good for nothing. The term lost its flavor here can be translated to play the fool. Salt can lose its flavor when it's attaining with foreign materials. Once salt has been compromised by something foreign, it is not just salt anymore. It cannot be used in the same way. It cannot be used to adapt the taste of foods in the same way. It can no longer be used as a form of preservation. And if we allow outside influences ourselves to corrupt us, <clears throat> then we as well lose our flavor. So with this task set before us is, is a warning. We have a great responsibility and we are expected to accomplish it. And if we shirk this responsibility, if we allow other things to distract us, allow ourselves to be distracted and compromised by the world, if we refuse to do what we can in the saving of souls and spreading the gospel, then we are salt that is no good. We are good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden underfoot by men. Next, Jesus tells us that his followers are to be the light of the world. Now, light and heat from the sun is necessary. It's a necessary element for all life. Nothing can live without either light from the sun or from the heat that it brings to keep things warm. In the same way, light from the Son of God, is Jesus Christ, is needed for spiritual life. Once again, we see the Christian and their life being shown as a saving influence on the loss of the world. In Philippians, we see Paul referring to them as a light and a crooked and perverse generation. In Ephesians, we're commanded to walk in the Lord as children of light. In John 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We, we find Jesus, this light, we find him in the word. And in 1 Timothy 4 and 16, they were told to take heed to yourself and the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So our job is to be saturated with living the Christian life. Excuse me. <clears throat> Christian life is laid out for us in the Word of God. That it is evident to those around us that we serve God. And through that avenue, we may open doors. We may save lost souls. Jesus next says um, that a city on a hill cannot be hid. Gives us another analogy. Being on a hill gives a city 
an advantage of being seen by travelers and those all around, even from miles and miles away. Even those who may not be specifically looking for the city on the hill, it will be visible to even them, and, the, and all the surroundings will be impacted by the city. Our influence must be visible to the lost, and since we live in, a, live in view of everyone, all we do, good or evil, can be seen. We are influenced on all who are around us, even when we are not aware of it. Then Jesus says, how, how one does not light a candle and then seek to cover it up, but puts it up that it may light the entire house. I'm sure that we all have at some point lit a candle or a lamp or possibly a battery-operated lamp while camping, perhaps. If you don't light it and then hide it, it does no good. And it's so ludicrous when we read this, we think about it in this way. Well, of course, you wouldn't do that. That would make absolutely no sense. Why would you even think of doing that? Why would you have a lot in the first place if you intended, to keep, uh, if you intended on keeping it hidden and out of view? So why do we, at times, hide our light? Also, no matter how dark it may be or how insufficient we may think that lettering is, it's amazing just how much light can be provided when it is dark and set up in a place where it can shine, casting out the darkness. If our light is covered, we are of no use to the cause of spreading the gospel. And if our light is dim or hidden, then both ourselves and those around us may stumble because we are not lighting the pathway with the truth. As lamps and candlesticks are designed to be set on a mantle and provide light for all around, so is so we as Christians are designed and tasked with the shining of light, the light of Jesus, on all those who are around us. So once again, why would, would one hide their light? As we mentioned, it makes no sense that someone would light a candle and then hide it. <clears throat> so why would someone who is a child of God hide their light? The point being made here is just that. In the scripture, the point's been made is it is ridiculous and it's contradictory as hiding a candle under a basket to being a child of God and not showing that light. Sometimes we may find ourselves in situations where we may uh, feel embarrassed to speak up be, or speaking to someone and um, something's being said or something is going on that we know as a Christian that we um, cannot condone. We know if we speak up, then we will... Um, then we will become the object of scrutiny. Attention will be on us. We will be the odd man out, and attention will be cast on us, and we will be forced to declare what we believe. We are told that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Maybe it is that we haven't fully committed ourselves to Christ the way we think we have. Maybe we know we do not study the Bible as we ought to, and we're afraid that if we speak up, we'll be asked a question that we can't answer. Whatever our reason may be for hiding our lot, if that is the case, we need to fix that. Because we are of no use to God if we are not shining our lot to the world. In the final verse we're looking at this evening, verse 16, a glance it may seem a little self-serving, but under further examination we find that not to be the case. We let our, our lot shine before men in such a way that they see what we do, and when they see it, it makes them desire to glorify the Heavenly Father. We are not like the Pharisees who sought after exaltation in the public eye, 
We are to be the light to the world, and we are to be steadfast and true, and we need others to see our examples, but not in a, for us, in a braggadocious way. We want to do this in such a way that people want to know what is the driving force behind what we do and how we act. What do we, we want them to think, what do they know that I don't know? And prompt them perhaps to ask questions and seek answers and find the straight and narrow path. And we might add, to be this light and to lead others in Christ, to be the salt of the earth and to help preserve the souls of others, we need to be studying our Bibles. Some of the people we encounter may have you and I as the only source of Christian influence in their entire life. They may have no religious background, and if you and they ever part ways, whether this is work or school or family, then they may never have anyone else come along that knows what you know and can impart to them the hope that you have. They can share the good news that you can spread. So let's make sure that we are not being contaminated by the world and are remaining the good salt of the earth and preserving, assisting in the preserving of souls to God. Let's be sure our lamps are full of oil and the wicks are trimmed and placed high. We may be the bright influence that we are commanded to be. Remember, if we are not actively seeking to spread the good news and trying to preserve souls for the judgment, then Jesus says that we are good for nothing. Perhaps this evening, as we as I close my remarks, and I was relatively short, um, perhaps um, someone here is not a Christian, but are here because there was a lot that was has drawn you in. We'd be more delighted to assist you in becoming a part of the Lord's fold, if that would be your wish. Or perhaps you are a member of the fold, and you have lost your way. Maybe you've been contaminated by the world, and you like prayers of the congregation on your behalf. We'd be happy to assist you in that as well. If you come while we stand, and while we sit.